With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Nice to be here. Where did the Planet Football name come from, by this the way? This is actually my idea. I'm going to take some credit for this. And it's not easy coming What if I said I hated it? Well, then that would be your prerogative. <laughs> but I would say football yes. is recognizable in the U.S. as a specific sport, not American football. We're okay. also reaching all the possible audiences or the big ones in the U.S. with that term. Okay. And Planet is kind of a mission statement Okay. about what we covered. So what about... Do you think all MLS teams should be called football clubs and not soccer clubs? My philosophy Mm -hmm. is that I don't care what you call the sport. We all love the sport. And you can call it whatever you want. Okay, fine. All right, continue. I was just curious. (laughs) Uh, Lots to talk about, but let's talk about this first. You're here on behalf of Sprint. I am. Um, They've been great to me. They've been... Great for the Copa America Centenario. And when this tournament came about, as you know, very quickly, in probably five or six months, uh, they wanted to be a part of it. And they've been part of Gold Cups in the past, but their owner, who is, or their CEO, who is a part owner with David Beckham in the Miami. Marcelo Claret? Yes, Miami United soccer thing that's going on is a Bolivian national who's a big soccer fan so he wanted to be a part of this and we wanted to create some fun things to do Um, you know you can have a typical endorsement or sponsorship where you can make it fun and creative so we've been able to engage in Santa Clara in Chicago now here um, engage fans with signings Uh, we had a sweepstakes where two fans will be at the Copa America final um, here in New York and also they partnered with a company called Fubo TV to create an app that people can watch all the games on for free if they're a Sprint customer um, if they couldn't be at the stadium or be watching on TV so it's been a really great month for me I will get to meet Marcelo this weekend at the game and I've heard a lot of great things from him I spoke to Sunil Galati the other night he was had great things to say about Marcel and says he's known him since he was 20 years old. So it's been a, a really good thing to be a part of this with Sprint, and, and I'm glad that they're a part of what we're doing. I fully expect an insider report on uh, Miami. <laughs> there you go. I'll do my best. <laughs> uh, moving onward, uh, you've been doing a lot of commentary during this tournament for Fox, uh, the U.S. games. Uh, I think there was an Argentina-Bolivia game. As right. well. I probably should say a couple of things. I work for Fox, too, uh, <laughs> in full disclosure. Uh, it's been fun working with you. Uh, Likewise. And, else. Um, and also, we're recording this on Friday, late in the afternoon, in New York. So this is before the third place game, before the final. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But wanted to ask you about this experience with Fox because before this tournament, how many full games had you done on television? I had, well, I'll take you back how it all started. So I was at home on a, I believe it was a Thursday afternoon, and I got a call from my agent, Richard Motzkin, and he said, hey, David Neal from Fox wants to know if you would call the Mexico-Paraguay game on Saturday. And I said, in, in two days? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, where is it? And he said, Atlanta, but you can call it from the L.A. studio. I said, well, you know I've never done this, right? And he said, I know. And, you know, it's completely up to you. So I really, if I'm being honest, I sort of did it as a favor because you guys were all getting ready for the Copa America. And I think he didn't want to burden anyone with having to come into L.A. and do a game. And, you know, obviously everybody loves doing it, but they had enough to worry about. So I said, okay, I'll do it. That's fine. And I went in and, and J.P. Della Camera was there. And we had a really good time. I really enjoyed it. I had no idea if I had the worst call ever or the best call ever. And they seemed to be pretty happy with it. So they asked if I would stay on and do some stuff during the tournament. And that's sort of how it all emanated. Wow. Okay. So before your first U.S. game that you did, you did one game? I'm sorry. So, yeah, to answer your question. So I did that game, Mexico-Paraguay. And then I called Argentina-Bolivia. Mm-hmm which was their third game in their group. And then I called the U.S. quarterfinal against Ecuador. Wow. So, I mean, you're jumping into big games very quickly. (laughs) They threw me in the deep end. And having done this myself, and, and, you know, I'm a writer, you know, so it's it's different going on television. Sure. Um, And I had to learn a lot. And probably not there yet. But what is, what's the hardest part? Well, I think, I mean, You'll probably agree. So one of the easier things actually for me is the speaking in front of a microphone or speaking on camera because I'm used to it. Now, in in your career, you're always getting asked questions in front of a microphone and camera. For me, it's how quickly and precisely can I explain what I'm thinking? Because if you and I talk for 10 minutes, I could tell you everything I think about Argentina-Chile final game. Right. But can I get it out in 15 seconds, right? And and you know this. This is something you have to, you know, yeah. deal with too. So that part for me is tricky. And then I'm not a naturally energetic, overboard, excitable guy. So I have to get myself in that mental space. It's, you know, borderline acting sometimes. Mm-hmm. But when you're in the stadium, it's a lot easier. And when you're watching the U.S. team that you've been a part of for 15 years, it's a lot easier to get into that emotional state whether it's good or bad obviously the Argentina game was horrible so you can sort of feel that emotion too but it was um, that was a big learning curve for, and still is a big I mean I have a long way to go too for me it's the energy thing because I have to actually act in a way that feels slightly uncomfortable to right. me and how much energy I'm putting out there Does right so yeah and you're obviously very knowledgeable about the game now and you've been a part of this for so long yeah. what you're saying is very relevant and important, but you learn that if you if if I speak the way I normally speak on television, nobody's going to listen to what you have to say. So you have to say it in a way that people want to be engaged. Makes sense. So are we going to be seeing you do this more often? That's up to your bosses. <laughs> no, I've I've gotten a lot of good feedback, which has been good. I've had 
I've done four games. In my opinion, three of them were pretty good. One was bad. The Argentina-Bolivia game I did, I was not happy with at all. So I think I'm getting better and I'm doing well. Um, because of it, it's been nice to have people from um, my world, people from the media world, people that are just fans, and then also from other networks just reach out and say, wow, that was really good. And it's nice to hear that and it's nice to feel wanted and um, I got to think it through and see if it's really something I want to be a part of, but I've enjoyed it so far. Now, the next thing to do to get out of your comfort zone, I did this once last year. I called a 90-minute game on Univision, an MLS game. In, in Spanish. Spanish. I know your Spanish is good. <laughs> your Spanish is probably better than mine. <laughs> I only had to answer the same, like, six questions my whole career. What do you think about Mexico? What You know, <laughs> so that's not easy. I give you credit. Um, so I know you met with Jurgen Klinsmann. Um, mm -hmm. Before the game in Seattle, uh, I know you met for quite a bit of time mm -hmm. uh, with him. And I'm not going to ask you about the private stuff from the conversation, the specifics, but this was two years basically that you hadn't really had a chance to talk to him about things and yeah. ease some of the tension. Why was it important to you to do that? I think in life it's important to communicate, one. I knew that if I was going to be a if I'm going to be a part of this sport in certain ways moving forward, i.e., commentating or coaching at some point or something like that, uh, I need to have a relationship with him. We don't have to be best friends. We don't always have to agree on things, but we should have a respectful relationship. He's one of the most powerful people in soccer in this country. So, I, but more than that it was important for me as a human being to talk to him and hear his perspective because we get caught up in what we think is important or what we think is the reason things happen or things were, but there's always multiple sides to every story and everyone has their own perspective on things. So that part of it was important. And if I never speak to him again, I would be okay with it because at least we had the chance to talk it through. And, and I think for both of us, it was cathartic and, and important to just say how we felt. And so the only other time I would have really had that chance was at my last game, the Ecuador game. And I showed up basically an hour before the game. He was in game mode and it wasn't appropriate. So this was nice to have the chance to just clear the air and, and talk about things. And I understand his viewpoint now. And, th and that for me is important. And that helps you just finally let it be okay yeah um you have options i would assume uh, you're not playing anymore um, <laughs> i'm not <laughs> your dad which is cool yes um i know you've had some interest in potentially coaching mm -hmm. uh some in media uh what do you what's what are you thinking about what comes next yeah I sometimes feel this internal pressure, like I have to make a decision on what I'm going to do. It's been a year and a half now that I've been retired. I'm okay with saying I don't know yet, and I want to try different things. I've had the opportunity now to do some commentating, which I like, but I want to give it some time and make sure that if it's something I really want to do, that I make sure I give it my full attention. The coaching thing I think is interesting. I'm taking the U.S. Soccer B license coaching course in August and then October, and I think again in December. So that will be interesting to learn. Um, I've had some, quite a few opportunities to get into the management slash business side of soccer, which 
I'm interested in, but it hasn't been the right opportunity yet. And I'm not sure I want to be in a suit going to an office nine to five every day. So that piece of it's interesting. The ownership piece is interesting. If, if I could help effectuate, um, real progress and change. Can you the word effectuate, by the way? Yeah, I'm very smart. I didn't graduate high school, but, <laughs> um, that would be fun. So yeah. if I can do that, then in the right manner, in the right way, that would be fun. The ownership stuff has come up from time to time. I mm-hmm. mean, uh, Swansea City came up recently as something that you might be part of that group. Jason, right. Is it Levine? Jason uh, Levine. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it possible also, I've heard San Diego, mm-hmm. MLS is a possibility. What's going on there? So I've met um, with Jason Levian and, and Steve Kaplan a number of times, mm-hmm. the, peop- the men who are leading the charge, uh, led the charge now to buy Swansea City. Yeah. Um, nothing's finalized, but we're in serious talks to have me involved in some way. I think they're, I give them a lot of credit because there's been a number of American owners who have gone and bought teams in the Premier League and struggled. And I think one of the reasons is if you're not a soccer person, um, and specifically not a soccer person who understands how the Premier League works and how the teams and the fans work, mm-hmm. I think you're putting yourself uh, in trouble if you don't surround yourself with the right people. So I think they just want people around them that, you know, I'm not an expert on the Premier League. I played there for three months twice in my life. But, you know, I know a lot of the players. I know a lot of the teams. I know how the fans work, and I know how they what they expect from their players and from management and from owners. So I give them a lot of credit for reaching out and wanting to have me involved in some capacity, and, and I hope it'll work out. What could it potentially be? I mean, could this be like a full-time thing for you? Is it less? I, mean... I think the idea is um, to, again, dip your toe in a little bit and see how it goes. Whether it's a permanent thing, you know, I, I don't anticipate moving to... Swansea, Wales, anytime soon. Yeah, well, I haven't been, you know, so I can't, I can't comment. But um, if if you told my wife it's San Diego or Swansea, Wales, I'm sure she'll say San Diego. So we'll see. But you know, I want to, I want to be a part of things like that. It's nice to be one. So we'll see what the exact role is. My guess would be some sort of advisory capacity that helps them when they need some. soccer specific advice because they admittedly you know steve coaches his daughter's team but they're not you know hardcore soccer people they both come from actually nba backgrounds in in certain ways so we'll see what happens i mean one thing that struck me is how few of the american owners how basically none of the american owners in the premier league have hired an american coach Mm. do you think this might be a, a chance for a change that they might actually consider somebody like i mean bob bradley's the first name that comes to mind sure no, that's an interesting question. I actually hadn't thought about that. You, you, you have to be careful with that too, right? Because it has to be the right person. Whether they're American or Angolan or Argentinian or Afghani or whatever, it has to be the right person. So it's the same with do you bring in an American player to a certain club, right? And so if it's the right player that actually helps the club win on the field and you get the benefit of having an American for branding purposes and sponsorship purposes, great. But if you're just doing it because you want to bring in an American, I think that's a that's a little slippery slope to okay. to go down. Makes sense. San Diego MLS, anything going on there? 
Um, I don't know for sure if there's anything going on there. I, it's something I'm interested in. I'm I'm candid about that. Um, I will speak with Commissioner Garber um, more in detail about it at some point. I've been, you know, understandably busy for the last couple months, especially with a child at home. Right. It is something I'm interested in. You know, traditionally, San Diego is a very strong soccer market in the yeah. youth that play there and that are there. I mean, I lived it. I've I've I grew up playing there almost every weekend, so I understand there's a lot of people that love the game there. How that translates into a potential professional team, it's hard to know. So we'll see what happens. It's absolutely something I'm interested in, though. Cool. Um, as far as the U.S. performance in this Copa America, what's your sense of it? I sort of see a tale of two teams. Um, I see the team that played Colombia and looked like they were going to have trouble scoring yeah. if they played for a lot longer. And the team that played Argentina that was really bad on the day. But then I also saw a team for three games that looked like they had a belief, a real team spirit. They looked like they were tactically organized. Um, emotionally they looked like they were really into it so it was hard to kind of gauge how the team did because you saw these very two different like Jekyll and Hyde characters yeah. and it was hard to sort of gauge it and so I I don't know that you can call it a success if they don't do well in this third place game because that's another barometer so you can say okay fine Costa Rica Paraguay Ecuador good teams but not great teams Colombia, Argentina, great teams, and we didn't do well against them. So now they have another chance at Colombia. Mm -hmm. I think if they do well against Colombia, you can say, okay, we've made some good progress. But it was very clear from the Argentina game that there's a long way to go. Yeah, clearly. Um, What's your thought, by the way? I mean, I actually have a different opinion about the third-place game. I think it's almost impossible to take anything out of a third-place game because mm. you never really know who's all taking it seriously. Um, and so... It's hard to draw conclusions. Now, That's fair. We'll see. Um, well, I think regardless, then yeah, I mean, regardless of what Colombia decides to do, I think for the American players, for your, and it's, I think it's, it still matters in that way. But I agree. I mean, you don't know how Colombia is going to take it. Yeah, um, and you know, I think it's much. This tournament, when you look at, you know, the totality of it, is better than the Gold Cup last year. Sure. Certainly, the U.S had much better play at times during this tournament than it did during Gold Cup. But obviously, actually, had a result getting to the... That's the actually finals. a good point. I mean, they got they did a, I mean, they did got better results in this tournament than the Gold Cup. Yeah. I, I totally forgot about that. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, that said, you're, you're talking about a U.S. team that sort of, on home soil, beat the teams it was supposed to beat right. and didn't beat the teams that it wasn't supposed to beat. Right. And so you're kind of left... Okay. We so are where we are, are, yes. <laughs> right. um, they are who we thought they were. So, we'll see. Um, I guess it's one thing to look at this tournament. It's also another thing to look ahead mm. to World Cup qualifying and sure. really start thinking about 2018. Sure. What needs to happen now? Well, there's no magic pill and there's no magic potion that says, if we do this, we'll beat Argentina next time, right? So, I said in the broadcast the other day, 
if the U.S. had Messi and Ibrahimovic and Cristiano Ronaldo on their team, I'm still not sure they would have won the game, right? Those are the three maybe best players in the world. I'm not sure they would have won the game because Argentina was so good on the night. And I, I'm, you know, obviously I have an eye on the short term and how we do in qualifying and the World Cups, but long term, how do we get to a point where we're like Argentina, where we're developing, whatever. Messi's a once-in-a-lifetime player for right. any country. Right. right. Germany wants to develop a Messi. <laughs> Brazil has Neymar, but they want to develop a Messi. Sure. So forget Messi. But how do we get 10 other players like they had on the field? How do we develop players like that? Right, yeah. right. Yeah. And, and quite a few of them, right? And so that's where we need to get to. And that's not a two-year process. That's not a 10-year process. That's a 20, 30, 40, 50-year process. And... That's a, I mean, we could have that conversation for hours, but that's, I think, where, where we need to focus. And maybe we'll, you know, we'll reserve that for a different podcast, I guess. I just find there's a, a lot of promises and talk in the U.S. soccer community. If it's MLS saying we want to be one of the world's top leagues by 2022, which seems very ambitious to me, mm-hmm. uh, or U.S. soccer wanting to be in a position to win a World Cup, um, it strikes me that we hear that, but we don't often hear the details of what that actually involves. Mm-hmm. Would you like to see that more, the, the actual planning? Well, did you ever think that maybe people don't know what that involves? Oh, maybe. Yeah. So, And that's okay. I mean, I'm not saying I have the answers, right? right. But it's not an easy fix. I mean, everyone wants, especially in a country of this size with so many opinions. And I, I mean, I talk to like... I talk to under 12 club coaches, and they'll be like, what was Jurgen thinking doing this, this, and this? And I'm thinking, are you crazy? (laughs) This is the the highest coach in our country, and you're questioning. And it's fine to question and be critical, whatever. But they're convinced that they know more than someone like that. And that, if you have that mentality, you're never going to get where you (laughs) want to get. So (laughs) it is the nature of the business, and it's the nature of watching sports and all that. I get it. However... I think, in my opinion, we need a singular view or person that people just say, listen, maybe I don't always agree, but at least let's let's go in this direction. Because right now we have, if you talk to six people, they have six different opinions of how to get to winning a World Cup. Yeah. And most of them have never played a soccer game or never played at a high level, and that's fine, but their ideas are are just from someone who's been there so crazy and so unacceptable and so i think we need to get to a place where we just have a singular view of how we get there right yeah that makes sense. It's my opinion yeah i don't know um i think we're actually at the end of my questions here so uh-oh that's fine this has been a really good interview <laughs> that went I, fast huh i enjoy it it goes by very quickly uh, so let's do another day where we talk about how we get there We'll save that for another podcast, but my guess is that would be one that people might want to listen to. Yeah, that would be good. Good stuff. Planet Don, Adventure Sports, Football Podcast. Planet Football. My pleasure.
Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network? Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.